This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace. And Scott. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Um, Welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. If you don't know Scott, Scott is our head coach here at This Naked Mind. And so today, for the end of the year, we are going to do an episode on really the pitfalls that can go wrong with dry January or taking a 30-day break, you know, specifically for the month of January, the New Year's resolutions. That is so many people's intention to just kind of cleanse and reset and enter into the new year in a kind of different frame of mind without alcohol, but it can be harder than you think. I speak from experience. Yeah, I've done the same thing. And I think we want to talk about the pitfalls. We also want to talk about how to get through it um, positively, right? So if you choose to do one of these things, what are the things to watch out for? What are the things you can do to be successful and to actually make it a positive experience instead of just 30 days of gritting your teeth? Awesome. So we have six things we're going to go through. Number one, of course, this naked mind is going to be mindset. And mindset is the single probably biggest predictor of your success. I think the biggest mistake people make is that they go into this thinking about what they're giving up. So it's completely, uh, okay, I don't get to drink for the next 30 days. I'm not allowing myself that. And the things we tell ourselves are very much in the frame of lack and deprivation. And if you look at, like, I listen to or talk to people who do things like dry January or sober October, and, you know, at the end of it, they're always saying, like, oh, I learned a bunch, like, I feel better, right? But at the beginning of it, they're upset, and they're like, this isn't going to be very fun, I'm not going to enjoy it, and, like, that first week is no good. And so one of the ways I like to talk to people about it is that if you want to come out of this, you know, with some positive lessons, whatever they are, right, maybe you want to cut back, maybe you want to do something different, maybe you want to quit altogether, going in with that open mindset will get you more of that time to learn, right? So instead of that first week being really difficult and, you know, you being grumpy and unhappy, um, you can just be open to what you're going to see and what you can learn there. And that's just going to get you that much farther in those 30 days. Absolutely. So for, I like to paraphrase that is enter this with what you're going to gain, not what you're going to give up and really start to focus on the things that you can gain. I mean, studies show that 92% of people who give up alcohol for four weeks are not just a little happier, but significantly happier. A huge majority of people sleep better, tons less anxiety. They lose weight. There's so many statistics. In fact, if you go to alcoholexperiment.com, which is our 30 day challenge, you can read all of these statistics that are, you know, very well documented of everything you gain. So when you start looking forward to this and being like, okay, what's it going to feel like to be a few pounds lighter? What's it going to feel like to be sleeping better at night? What's it going to feel like not to wake up with a pit in my stomach? What's it going to feel like just not to have hangovers? And you start anticipating and looking forward to that. You change your mindset in such a way that this actually becomes something not only doable, but enjoyable, which actually really leads me to point number two, because I think these really go hand in hand. And so point number two, I would say is all about getting curious right? So it's not just that you're going to, positive affirmations do not work if you don't believe them. (laughs) And we do that so often. We're like, I'm a success. I'm a success. But your subconscious mind is like, okay, no, you're not. And so you don't believe them. And so what happens when you get curious is you avoid that pitfall of saying something like, I'm going to enjoy this. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. 
and you get curious about how is this going to be? Can this be incredible? Does this have the potential to be amazing? And when you get curious, your mind actually believes that positive thought and really bumps out the negative thought. I think part of the problem with the idea of these challenges is that we have so many positive associations with these things. So whatever it is for you in a 30 day challenge, if it's alcohol or marijuana or drugs, whatever it is, right, that you're going to try to give up for 30 days. The reason that we call it a challenge is that we seem to really be having a hard time letting go of it, that it's something that we have a lot of positive association about. Um, and so being curious about the idea, like maybe this isn't all great right? Maybe, uh, maybe there is another way for me. Maybe there's another way for me to look at this. Maybe there's another way for me to live my day to day um, without being judgmental. And that's why I think curious and open mind kind of go hand in hand. It's like we can have, we can kind of have both thoughts, but it makes all the difference because when you're in a curious mindset, you know, if you run across some material during the 30 day challenge, challenge or you have a thought or an emotion or something you are and you're curious about it you'll be able to follow that down uh you know down to kind of its roots and really explore it a little bit more and get that much more out of the program and i think it's you know it's such a i love what you said because that's in fact why we don't even call ours a challenge we call it an experiment it's the alcohol experiment it's all about like dipping a toe seeing what it could be like you know exploring this because to your point scott like the word challenge just invokes like this will be hard this is going to be punishment i'm going to suffer you know and so but the word experiment is like okay i'm just going to see what happens i'm just going to go through this and say if this is great, great, but I don't actually have any expectations. Like by definition, you might have an hypothesis with an experiment. You might say, you know, I kind of expect that I might be a little better. I kind of expect that this might be difficult, but you're really putting that hypothesis aside during the time you're experimenting. And you're saying, I'm going to find out what this is like as objectively as possible and really going into it with this curious mindset. The only th other thing curiosity can do, which is amazing, is it just creates a space between your um, the thoughts that pop into your head and your emotions that you can become more of an observer in your life. And if you know anything about like the talks we've done about mindfulness and mindfulness in general, as soon as you move from that like first person, I'm in it, everything's affecting me, everything's coming out of me to kind of that, you know, use the part of our brain that can say, okay, I'm gonna look at myself and see what's happening and become this observer. It is really freeing and emotionally, it gives you so much more control because you move from a very reactive point of view to a very inquisitive point of view where you're not reacting, but you're understanding and then you're deciding. And that's just a really powerful place to be. And I think just the whole terminology of experiment and getting curious really does that. And I think one thing, just before we move on, another thing that I think um, the experiment idea helps is it creates like a safe space for you to experience all of this stuff. Um, in all of its ups and downs, right? It's, you know, we talk about that as a very positive thing and on the whole, it is absolutely a positive thing, but there will be some challenges, but that's where being curious helps you learn from those challenges. And so doing it in this experiment mindset and then, you know, in a place where you have other people around you and connections where you can talk about it is, is massive, you know, again, as opposed to a challenge where it's like, I'm just gonna grit my teeth and, and push through here. Yeah, you wanna go through Sure, the so the next, uh, the next one is forbidden fruit. Right. So one of the things that happens um, is that when we set ourselves up for, say, any period of time when we're not going to drink, is that alcohol will suddenly become more mentally important. Right. We'll suddenly begin to put more weight on what alcohol does for us in our lives, how much we enjoy it, how much we, quote unquote, need it to get through our days. Um, 
and it starts to kind of build up the pressure around it um, so that it becomes difficult to get through the 30 days. Right. And so what we want to do in a challenge, what we recommend that anyone does in a, in a 30 day challenge or our alcohol experiment is spend that time learning about it. Right. It's not necessarily that, you know, it's forbidden fruit and don't even look at it. Right. And it just becomes more tempting. I mean, it reminds me, you know, I have kids and, uh, you know, when I tell them, you know, put a plate of donuts on the table and say, don't touch the donuts. You know, it's hard for them not to touch the donuts. You know, and so as opposed to just leaving them there and maybe they notice them, maybe they don't. So when we call attention to something, when we really focus ourselves on it, um, it can make it a lot harder to let it go. And so if when we go into this and this ties into point number one and point number two, um, that being curious and being open minded about this stuff really helps. So we want to create an atmosphere where for 30 days you're learning. For 30 days, you're learning about how alcohol affects you, how it affects your family, how it affects your life and your job. Um, and it's just sort of absorbing more information um, as opposed to like closing your eyes and shutting your ears and just trying to get through the month without it. And the thing about, I think this, that's so interesting is like Scott said, like the example of the kids is this works with the brain instead of against the brain. The human brain is literally like wired to when you try to take something from us as human beings, when we say, we're not gonna have that, our attention goes to that thing that we can't have. It's this scarcity mindset that has just been with us for millennia that all of a sudden, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, Annie, you can't have your coffee. I'm like, ooh, wait, what? I, I want this, you know? And so I think that that is just so, vital to understand. And as Scott said, the antidote to that is learning. But I wanted to make one other piggyback point is that our learning isn't scary. Because if our learning was scary, if we were going to bombard you for 30 days with all of these scary facts and scary statistics and scary things, guess what that would actually do in your brain? It would be the exact same as the, the forbidden fruit. Like your mind can shut off to really negative, scary information just to protect itself, especially when you have an emotional attachment, as we probably all do, to drinking if we're actively drinking, because we do it for a reason. We think it provides things for us. We have these beliefs around alcohol that it relaxes us. It makes things fun. makes us part of the crowd. It helps us feel good. And so if I start just like attacking those things in a really scary, terrifying way, um, that's not going to work either. You're actually going to shut down. You're not going to take in any of the information. So I just wanted to say that while the antidote to this forbidden fruit syndrome is actually putting alcohol front and center saying like, yeah, we're not going to like close the doors and not think about alcohol for the next 30 days because as soon as it's like the pink elephant, don't think about the pink elephant, then you're thinking about the pink elephant. We're gonna open up Pandora's box and say, okay, what is this thing called alcohol? But we're gonna do it in a really friendly, really empowering, really curious, really non-judgmental way, because that actually you're gonna be open to, we're gonna be open to, we're gonna have a great conversation around, um, much rather than you know trying to, we, we all know certain things about, we wouldn't even be here, it, thinking about a 30-day alcohol-free period if we thought alcohol was health food, right? It just wouldn't be happening. We'd be like, no, bring on more alcohol. Um, but I thought that for a while. <laughs> I, I did too, just until I started to be like, but why do I feel so bad then sometimes? Or health food never has made me throw up before. So anyway, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So coming through and we have some sort of idea that alcohol isn't the best thing. That's why we're here me just trying to you know, ram down your throat, that fact is not gonna do anything positive in your mind. And it's definitely gonna make that whole forbidden fruit syndrome worse. Um, which actually brings us to number four, 
which is tools. I think that people really do, and I know I did. The first time I tried to give alcohol for any, up alcohol for any length of time, I went into that with like, oh, well, easy. Like, I don't drink that much, and you know, I'm not really addicted, and I'm certainly not an alcoholic, so like, no problem. Um, but I didn't, because I did that, I didn't understand anything that was happening inside my brain. I didn't understand that alcohol actually changes some chemicals inside my brain, that it makes it more attractive to me than it used to be before I ever drank it. It changes some of my emotional state inside my brain. There's so many things. And so when you go into it with this, and this happens thousands and thousands of times, we've had, we've had more than 30,000 people go through the alcohol experiment in the last year. And, um, and that's just been in its beta phase. Like this is our first big launch of it, which is really exciting because we've gotten so much feedback and really refined it. But so many thousands of people say, oh yeah, you know, I just thought it was going to be easy. And um, I think that when we go into that with this, just like without any awareness that like alcohol is addictive, not just to some people, to all people, it's addictive to human beings. And so when we go into this with like, oh, it's just going to be easy for me. And then we're really blindsided by the fact that day one, day two, we're like really missing a drink. Day four, day five, we're like sitting there feeling like, okay, this sucks. What's the point of just even going out because I can't have anything. And, and we really start to build up this stuff. It can really make us throw in the towel. And the worst thing about that is that because you entered this with an intention really to honor yourself, to be healthier, to, to get um, on top of things, to really like uh, detox, cleanse, et cetera, you had this intention you thought this intention was going to be easy to follow through. When you find it not, you put the blame squarely on your own shoulders and it can be a really negative place to be. And what do we do? I mean, we've been conditioned to believe that alcohol relieves stress. So as soon as things get stressful, not drinking becomes more stressful. <laughs> it's like the cycle. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, when we, uh, when we ask people to approach this, one of the things that we'll talk about is this idea of what is it going to be like for you to get through those 30 days? because so many people are like, ah, it's easy. You know, we ask you to kind of confront that. Like, is it really easy? And that's why we try to provide tools and frameworks to think about things and, and how to kind of work with those feelings and emotions that you're having. Um, because, you know, we've done the research on this and we understand how you know, brains react to alcohol over time and what happens when you quit drinking. Um, a lot of stuff that to you when you're in the middle of, you know, drinking seems like, oh, I'll just quit. Um, we recognize what's going on there. And so, you know, there's tools and strategies and ways to talk about um, this problem <clears throat> that can really help you get through those 30 days and get a much better picture of what your connection to alcohol is. You know, our, the whole point of this isn't to say, oh, quit for 30 days and then quit forever, right? That's why we call it an experiment. We have people that go through this um, and they decide, yeah, I do need to quit forever. We have other people that go through it and they think, all right, you know what? Things aren't going in a good direction. Here are some adjustments I'm going to make. I've learned some good things. I've learned some good facts. And I've also learned some good tools to how to make sure it doesn't go into a scary place and they move on with their life. Right. And so that's what this is about is that to Annie's point, if you walk into this thinking that it's going to be easy, right. Or if you versus walking into it thinking you're or being curious, um, if you walk in thinking it's going to be easy, you know, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to get through those days and it's going to be just less enjoyable. Um, and I think that's, that's a big part of, you know, a lot of challenges is this idea of like muscling up and like pushing through. We're asking you to do the opposite. Yeah. And I think that um, to Scott's point, like people do all sorts of things after this because there's no right path. 
you know, like at the end of the alcohol experiment, we really provide a very clear, like, okay, so you want to go just right back to your life. Awesome. Here's some things you want, might want to consider. You want to go and actually start to moderate a little bit more. Awesome. Here's some things you might want to consider. You actually want to take another 30 day break or go for longer. Awesome. Here's some things you might want to consider. And there's no judgment in any of those, which um, is so cool because it's just like, we're all just learning here together. And it's very much a way that there's not any preconceived idea of what you should end up doing. Like this is your body, your mind, your choice. It's all up to you. There's no, like, we're not dictating anything and we're just bringing stuff up for you to reflect on. And I think one thing that's really important to understand is that if this does become, because I can see me listening to this three or four, you know, I, I guess it's been longer than that now, probably six or seven <laughs> years ago and, and thinking about, okay, taking a really, you know, long break from booze or 30 days, which would feel like long at the time and being like, okay, it's going to be easy. Um, but then feeling like, okay, if it's not easy, what was, what's that going to mean? Is that going to mean that I'm an alcoholic? Is that going to mean that I have a problem? Is that going to mean that I'm broken? Is that going to mean that like, I'm one of, you know, these people that I put in my mind in this place that like just, you know, has ruined their relationship with alcohol because they've messed it up somehow. And like, it's going to be my fault. And all of these things would start swirling when you go into it thinking, okay, this is going to be easy. And then it's not. So I'm here to tell you right now, like, if it's not easy, that means none of those things. There is not a human being on the planet without the right mindset, the right tools and the right approach, who is going to walk into daily drinking or regular like heavy drinking on the weekends and go for 30 days and find it completely easy. That's just not gonna happen because of how alcohol works in our system chemically. And that has nothing to do with you categorizing or classifying yourself or asking these gloom and doom questions. So if it's not easy, like that's cool, that's okay. Welcome to the world. Welcome to the majority of everyone. And that has nothing to do with um, you being put in some sort of box or given some sort of label. But the idea is that at the end of the 30 days, you have the information you need to go forward however you want, right? And so, I mean, even just learning that, even just learning what Annie just said, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like 30 days if for people who drink is a long time between how it works on us chemically and just society, right? And how, you know, how we're programmed and we're all so accustomed to drinking. So, um, yeah, I mean, going into this 30 days and then coming out the other side armed with the information and the tools to go in whatever direction you want, that's a really big part of uh, a really big part of, of the alcohol experiment. That's awesome. So number five is really tactical. And I just want to give you this specific tool because I think it's just so helpful. Um, you know, no matter if you join the alcohol experiment or not, no matter what you do, if you're taking a break or thinking about taking a break or even taking a break for an evening, you need to understand this one really fundamental thing with alcohol is that maybe means yes. So when we go into an evening or a situation and we've said, okay, well, I'm going to try not to drink tonight chances are you're going to end up drinking. When you say, I'm not going to drink unless it gets weird or hard, or, you know, chances are it's going to get weird or hard. If you really have to make these decisions before you're in the moment, there's so many things happening that we could get into right here. We'll very briefly touch on it. We get into way more detail in the alcohol experiment. But when you are in a situation where you've normally drank and you're not drinking, you have a dopamine flood precursing that drinking. Dopamine is not only makes you want stuff or like stuff, but it makes you want stuff, crave stuff, desire stuff. So if you walk into something 
and you have not made a really firm decision and you've not realized that like you will have some sort of craving, you're going to cave into that because maybe means yes, when it comes to something that is addictive to the brain and not addictive because you're any sort of type of person, but addictive because you're made up of blood, flesh, bone, and cells. And if you go into any situation thinking, I'm going to try this out, I'm going to see how it goes. And you haven't made a firm decision for that situation you are probably going to drink. And so if you want to avoid drinking, say you're going to try, you know, going out for happy hour for the first time without a drink and you want to avoid it, there's a few things that I really highly recommend. Number one is to make that decision beforehand and say, okay, no matter what, like I can survive two hours out of the bar and no matter what, I'm not going to drink. Why? Because if I drink, I ruin the experiment. I can't get curious. Even if my experience is that like everybody is heckling me and throwing rotten tomatoes and being like, you loser, I can't believe you didn't drink. And I'm like crying in the corner. That's going to be okay because that's going to give me the information that I need to know what the answer to not drinking at happy hour is like. I can't know the answer to not drinking at happy hour if I drink at happy hour. So I'm going to put more value on the experiment than I am on like the short-term emotions of this. And I've made that decision before going into it. That's really important. And from a scientific point of view, like experiments aren't always easy. They aren't always simple. They put us through like things that, you know, aren't comfortable. And if every time somebody was trying to actually prove something or understand something, they abandoned it as soon as it got difficult, it would really like deter our learning and our understanding. And I think the second tool that I would really give you on this one um, is just to visualize it. You know, your brain can't actually tell the difference between something that is imagined and something that is real. Researchers recently just did a study where they taught people how to play the piano in real life by never touching a piano, just helping them imagine playing a piano and practicing it in their minds. And then when they sat down in front of the piano, they could play. Like, it's no joke. Like, so if you go in and say, okay, I know what that bar looks like. I know what all my colleagues look like. I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna order iced tea. I'm gonna go sit down and talk to Jill, you know? And like, this is what's gonna happen. I imagine myself laughing. I imagine myself going back up to the bar and getting a Sprite in my hand. Um, whatever the case is, like imagining it before you go, actually builds patterns in your brain that when you do it, you're not faced with this like, oh gosh, what's going to happen? It's a really incredible thing. And I don't know if you have any more tips. I do. Yeah. So I have three very tactical tips that I give people, um, you know, that I'm coaching in the intensives or in any of our programs. Um, but it's simple, right? It's have a buddy, have a plan and have an excuse, right? So have a buddy meaning means have someone with you who knows that you're not drinking. Um, this is really helpful because, you know, no matter where you kind of fall on, oh, I really need to quit drinking or I'm just taking 30 days off. It's just good to have someone. And to does your to. buddy have to not be drinking or can they be drinking? Um, it's up to you. Okay. Most of the time I recommend someone who's not drinking. Um, but for a lot of us, you know, that's not always, uh, that's not always possible. Um, but the point is it's someone that you can lean on and someone that you can trust. Um, you know, so if you're having a difficult time, it's someone you can just be like, man, like, can I have a hug, right? Anything from that just to like, all right, we're getting through, right? So it's just having that support there that's, that can be very helpful. The second one is have a plan. So, you know, you've done your visualization, you know how this is going to feel, you have a good idea and a good attitude going into it. Um, but having a plan of where you're going to go afterward and what you're going to do next, like continuing to visualize that is really helpful for a couple of reasons. First, um, you know, it continues this whole pattern of, all right, after this, I'm going out, I don't know, maybe I'm going out to dinner without alcohol or I'm going home or whatever that 
that plan is. The other reason it's helpful is that if you get in the situation and you start to think, man, this is really hard and I don't like it, right? I'm, I'm not comfortable. I want to get out of here. Um, if you have that plan already in place, you don't have to come up with it on the spot. Right. And so you can just say, all right, next on the list is this. I thought I was going to stay here for two hours, but it turns out I want to move on. So I'm going to go to my next step now. Um, and that goes for number three as well is the excuse. You know, you've made this commitment for 30 days. If you find yourself in that situation and you're thinking, man, this is harder than I thought, um, you've got an excuse ready to go. So you don't have to come up with it there because all of these little things of like, oh, well, if I leave now, what am I going to do? Or what am I going to tell so-and-so if I have to go? They're all ways that you can delay yourself um, and that, you know, just make it harder for you to get through the evening. So if you have a buddy and you have a plan and you have an excuse going into it, hopefully you won't need it. And as a matter of fact, most of the time, even just doing this planning um, makes people feel better and they don't need it. Um, but those are the three things that I see over and over that make it a lot easier to get through the night in whatever way, um, the most enjoyable way. That's awesome. Those are such good tactics. And I think with the buddy too, if you can't find somebody to be there, then just have somebody on your phone who you've told that you're planning not to drink. Just that little thing of like the positive peer pressure, you know, whether it's you've told your, um, even if you told your kid, like, look, I'm not going to drink tonight going out um, just so you know and kids by the way like they give you the best feedback because they're often so proud of us when we try to make a decision like that we make such a good example even trying we make it a good example we don't have to be perfect for our kids um, i think that's really important and in terms of having an excuse you know sometimes you do have to have an excuse and say your goodbyes and stuff but and this might be controversial and people might disagree with me but i'm a big believer in also like ghosting so if you haven't heard of ghosting it's basically like everybody's in it everybody's a few drinks in nobody's gonna notice that you just walk out the back door you know and and it's totally fine like it's absolutely fine you know unless you're like the bride at a wedding and you actually have to say a formal goodbye you think that people are really going to notice or put more pressure on it. And often when you go around and you're like, okay, bye, see you tomorrow. Wait, why are you leaving? What, what don't, and it makes this whole awkward thing for both people, in fact. So ghosting is really, in some ways, actually a gift to the people who are staying there too, because they don't feel this, this weird, like, maybe I should go too. Well, so, so it's leaving and it kind of disrupts the flow and the rhythm of their evening. But it's really nice for you. My husband and I do this a lot if we're at places and we don't drink and so you know things are getting a little rowdy or whatever and we're like okay this you know the energy here has shifted and let's be honest about something like when people start to get drunk their energy shifts like they're no longer operating really in the same sphere of reality that you are because their brains are working slower they're starting to you know find things funny that aren't really funny like certain things happen when you drink and so if you just feel like okay this scene isn't for me not only I would just give you permission. I love to have an excuse, but I'd also just give you permission to leave without an excuse and just, you know, sneak out. It's about, yeah, it's about taking that pressure off. Yeah. And this wasn't on our list, but you just said something that I think is really important about going out because I think a lot of us will have this experience over this 30 days and whatever challenge or experiment you're doing. Um, watch people. Mm -hmm. I think this was so, for me, it was really, really shocking when I went through it. Um, when I sat down with a group of friends, and they all ordered beers and I ordered my seltzer with lime and I watched throughout just that first beer. You can see physical changes. They slump a little bit, right? Their faces will change a little bit, even just on the first one or two beers, which I thought like, oh yeah, that's like no effect, right? No problem. Uh, no, it's very, very noticeable. And that, so watching that energy shift is really, really um, 
just, it's fascinating and it's really educational and you begin to realize, wait a minute, there's something else going on here that this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Um, I know that wasn't on our list, but no, I just, I really, <laughs> that was it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And I think you almost do yourself a disservice by trying to like hide away for the 30 days, right? Because you don't get the information that you would get if you were to go out and see like how somebody looks around the eyes one or two beers in, three or four beers in. Like mm. when, you, when you have that information, it's really useful. You like store it away in your little experiment um, folder and just get additional data points, really. And so our last one um, is find a tribe. And I think that this is so cool with, I mean, just globally, like there's a shift happening that is, is incredible. Uh, you know, among really young people, they're drinking less than ever, ever, ever before by drastic numbers. Unfortunately, older generations are drinking more by drastic numbers, but really there's this shift happening with uh, globally really with young people, really with people coming forward saying, you know, I've, I've seen my parents be drunk. That's just not the thing I want to do. And in general, there's this really big awakening happening to what would life be like without alcohol. So this is evidenced in all sorts of ways, the amount of literature that's written about going alcohol free, the amount of just groups that are happening and springing up the amount of different months that have been dedicated to alcohol-free challenges. We've got dry July, sober October, and the list goes on and on and on. Dry January, in fact, I think is now up to close to 10 million people annually are doing this, like just, I believe, in the UK. And so, I mean, globally, it's many more than that. So it's a really actually popular thing. And so finding a tribe of people who are kind of going with together with you through this can be really, really important and empowering and just help you see that, okay, a lot of people are questioning this. A lot of people are asking this very basic question that we should all feel free to ask of, you know, what would my life look like drinking a bit less or drinking nothing? You know, how would that affect my relationships? How would that affect my physical appearance? How would that affect my happiness levels? How would that affect my anxiety? How would that affect my career? And we're just getting curious about this on a really global level. Like there's a very massive mental shift happening. And so you're part of something that millions and millions of people are also part of. And so connecting with those like-minded people can be so powerful. It's so great to look in our communities in all of our different communities but particularly the alcohol experiment because there's so that's the first time a lot of these realizations start happening you know and so someone goes out and and they'll say man you know i went out last night and i noticed that after the second round i just felt completely out of place has anyone else seen that and then you hear like yeah me too and this happened and that happened being able to talk about it and realizing that your experiences are not, you know, in a vacuum, right? That you're part of this larger experience and that the rest of us that are learning things at the same rate um, and they're confirming and validating what you're seeing and what you're feeling is massive. I mean, I look in our, I look in our communities worldwide and we have people that get together all over the world um, in, you know, real life meetups and people that come to, you know, our conferences and people that participate in our programs it's really the relationships and the community aspect of it just really reinforce everything um, that you learn in, in a challenge or in an experiment and also really make it easier for you to kind of work out where you want to go next, right? So it's, it's both the sort of uh, shoring up of what you're learning, but also when you get toward the end, well, what's next, right? You have people that you're talking about that with and that's just, it's so massively helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's our six reasons. I think that, you know, if you approach this the right way, it can be one of the most profound things you may ever do. 
can absolutely change your life and not necessarily meaning that that means you have to give up drinking. Just the awareness, just the understanding um, can change your life in terms of how you approach it. I've seen thousands of people come into something, get this bit of education, get this awareness, and then they don't stop drinking, but they have fundamentally changed how they view and approach alcohol to such an extent that like at their deepest level, they are treating it with, with more caution. They're making a better example for their kids. They're going into this in a much more mindful way. And I think that really is at the end of the day, the thing, right? Like uh, we know now with so many things like prohibition and all this black or white, all or nothing mentality, it just, just doesn't work. And it just makes this like, you're not gonna know you're successful until you're actually like no longer here if you decide you're never gonna drink again until you're dead. And so like these things, really need to be actually approached with all of our brain with this very mindful approach. And, you know, in order to do that, in order to ask those questions, I really do believe that the alcohol experiment that we've created is absolutely the best platform to do that. in. And I think anything you're doing or any break you're taking or any questions you're having are incredible, but I would just like to really uh, personally invite you to join us for the alcohol experiment. We will be going live every single day for the month of January and um, just kind of holding your hand through this. And that is at alcoholexperiment.com. We'd love to see you there. Thank you guys so much. Take care. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com and please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word. Thank you.